Hello and welcome into another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Dreams, and today we're taking a deep dive into Vegas Esports with my guest, Christopher Laporte. Chris, thanks for joining the show. Thank you for having me. The founder of Reset Las Vegas, Chris has been working to raise the prominence of esports and video games in Sid City for over a decade. He's seen massive events highlighting the grandeur that Vegas is known for and some attempts at bringing esports to the city that just didn't quite pan out. He provides a unique perspective on one of the world's most unique cities. So Chris, starting off, what's the elevator pitch for Reset? Why do you want to found this company? You know, at the end of the day, um, my... Uh, I don't know how's the best way to say this. This is why I don't do elevator pitches. I have other people for that. But, you know, long story short, Las Vegas is the entertainment capital of the world. And since I opened up Insert Coins back in 2011 and since I was pitching that project back in 2010, I was really trying to make a mainstream market understand the value of this culture and this industry. And as Insert Coins kind of just made itself very relevant to Las Vegas as a tourist town, but also as a local spot. I was able to start talking about esports and start talking about the relevance of esports for casinos. And, you know, this was when Evo was, well, still is, but back then was coming into town. <clears throat> and, you know, for the most part, I just has been always a gamer. And as a gamer, I just feel like it's necessary that there's representation in a major tourist city, you know, for this industry as a whole. Definitely. It seems like a, an interesting mix. So talk a little bit about Insert Coins, the first project, and how it sort of led to what you're working on right now. Sure. So when I came to Vegas in 2005, um, I was going to the Evo tournament every year. And it was just awesome to see this buildup of this video game community. There were land centers in Las Vegas that were very, very cool. And I just one day said, you know what? I'm done with my career in medical device sales. I'm going to open up this video game bar. And it'll be almost like a sports bar, but with video games instead of watching regular sports. And then with DJs and music, because I kind of want to celebrate this culture that I grew up in and showcase it to, you know, 40 million people that come to Las Vegas. And for five years, we did great. And after five years, it was time to move on and do other things. And the beauty of that venue was it taught me a lot about this city. Because what Las Vegas loves is what works right now. What does everybody want to do? And if you look at Vegas, if you look at their entertainment when we had it, you know, it's the biggest DJs, the biggest musicians, the biggest comedians, the biggest everything. And what was really cool about the past five years is we started also focusing on esports events. And we had League of Legends here. We had Call of Duty. We, of course, have Street Fighter and the FGC. And there's just something very cool about seeing... What Insert Coins was, which was a representation of just like the culture and the gaming community locally, and then to watch kind of Las Vegas, the strip itself, start to embrace that scene as well as the esports industry now. Definitely. So do you feel like this city has embraced esports and video games in general in some way, or do we still have a long way to go before we get some full adoption going on? Oh, we got so much work to do. Um, yeah, I'm going to tell you the story that other people don't want to talk about. And, you know, it's that esports has all the potential in the world and has a ceiling that I can see and I know will one day hit it. You know, whether he's going to get to the tippy top of the mountain and we're halfway there, that's Las Vegas. Because we've had MGM, the casino, just really commit to esports. And we have the esports arena now. 
Caesar's Palace, they committed to esports. And within a year, they said, this isn't working. Get it out of here. And MGM, you know, just to call it for what it is, the esports arena right now just isn't really the thing for a Las Vegas trip, right? I'm 21 years old. I'm coming to Vegas. What's the first thing I'm going to do? Go to the esports arena? No, probably not. And that's what we're seeing. And, you know, the average age of the esports arena consumer in Las Vegas is 16 years old. And while that's great for the industry as a whole in any other city, it's a challenge for us because we're a 21 and up party town. And so while I'll always believe that we're going to get there, there's still a lot of work to do because the industry as a whole, in terms of large numbers, just has to be over 21. And we're not seeing that right now. I mean, it's true. Yeah, that's for every single entity right now. I was actually very surprised to see the LCS get a Bud Light sponsorship because the only way to do that is that I believe it's 75%, maybe 70% of their audience has to be over the age. I want to say 21, but it might actually be 18. And I was surprised to see that their audience was aged up that that much. But for a lot of games, games like R6, like Rocket League, like Call of Duty, games that have spent time in Las Vegas, their average player base is not even able to drink at a casino. So it doesn't make a ton of sense for why you come here beyond just, hey, it's the Vegas name. Right. And, you know, I still envision Las Vegas being this esports hub. You know, that's why I'm one of the directors over at the Nevada Esports Alliance, because, you know, there's something to be said about we don't we don't need to have everything work right now. We just need to be smart in how we execute. And over time, this thing builds and really grows. You know, when I was doing esports and I'm doing, you know, air quotations right now, when I was doing esports events, I didn't serve coins. Yeah, the first thing I did was get liquor sponsors. You know, and I remember showing Budweiser, like, hey, there's this thing. These guys take this gaming really seriously. Hey, here's this thing called Twitch. They're streaming to all these people, and they were excited. They said, what is this? And this was back in 2011. And so, you know, as they started to look at the market, they realized, hey, Chris, we really can't get into this because there's not enough that's of the age here in the States. However, globally, this thing is huge. And that's what's exciting is that we know that around the world maybe it is a little more of an older crowd and maybe that's the kind of tourism that las vegas can get but the reality is in terms of big numbers yeah it's a really hard play because it's just not that key demographic right now definitely and you schooled me a little bit on where vegas sits on a worldwide landscape if you look at how the different regions embrace esports, like you mentioned how it's much older in Korea, they've had a Korean esports association for 20 years. There's people who've been who've grown up in this and are well over the age of 30 still heavily involved in esports. In Asia, they're going to Macau, not to Vegas, which uh and you you dropped the stats, so I don't want to steal your thunder here. Uh how much of Las Vegas visitors come from international Right. So last year, uh, international tourism, and uh, forgive me, if, but it's definitely between 14 and 16 percent. And the f- interesting thing about that 14 to 16 percent is 50 percent of that. So let's just say seven or eight percent comes from either Mexico or Canada. So that's not the international audience that most people think. You know, they're thinking across the pond. They're thinking Asia. So the number is relatively small in comparison to the rest of the market that comes to Las Vegas. No question. 
It's interesting. I guess I always assumed it was an international tourist hub, but that's just the American-centric mindset that, I, that I've grown up in, assuming, hey, Vegas is the place to be. And in reality, Macau is uh, the destination of choice for most people in Asia, which is that prime esports market that every brand, that every company, it's like, how do we reach that market? The, the American market's great. There's, there's lofty numbers, some, some good momentum, but it's that Asia market that's getting brands like Nike involved, that's really pushing a lot of brands to be more involved in esports. So you look at like MasterCard and Nike, they get into, into esports for China. Not right, really for right. the American audience. Louis Vuitton was done not for the Midwest America. That was done for Chinese audiences. <laughs> yeah, they don't care about you in Kansas City. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry, sorry, guys. You haven't seen any Wrangler esports partnerships yet. Maybe one day. <laughs> Looking at the city as a whole, and I think we're getting into it a little bit, I'm curious for somebody. I've moved to Las Vegas in January. I haven't even spent a full year here yet. And for most of that time, the city has been completely shut down, or at least probably should be shut down. What do people misunderstand about the city of Las Vegas and the tourism industry here? Oh, I mean, we're, we are purposely misunderstood. <laughs> we, we, we are the come on in and have all the fun and do whatever it is that you can. And, you know, the idea that everything is illegal and the certain things are legal, there's just a lot of what can I do here? You know, the cannabis world, for instance, right? Like that suddenly became part of the allure of las vegas but you know especially in the world of just like the the gambling world right when people come to vegas they think nightclubs they think parties and pools and dining and entertainment and then they look at gambling and you know the reason why we're so have our hearts really set on esports is of course because of its title one day sports gambling but when you look at gambling the numbers have come down precipitously in terms of the percentage of the revenue a casino brings in majority of that money and i'd say between 60 and 70 percent of revenue is actually coming out of their hotel experience their restaurants and their nightlife especially so food and beverage really drives the costs and as we see younger audiences kind of come in for the nightlife world they're not necessarily gambling and that's something that we have to work on and that's something that can definitely be done there's a lot of people out there that are working on gambling plays for esports you know we've seen success in eastern europe and of course asia you know companies like ravelry gg you know, those guys are, are luck box these guys are doing it unicorns doing their thing as well so you know for las vegas people don't necessarily come here for gambling as much as they used to and that mystere of like that you know golden eye 007 kind of hit me kind of thing you don't see a lot of that but that may come in time as innovation starts to hit the city where there'll be a new way of gambling and esports really could have a piece of that action. Let's talk about that new way of gambling and what that looks like. If you think about all the classic gambling games, you've got poker, you've got blackjack, you've got slots, which are always the most popular. I don't understand it, but people love slots. Apparently how can gambling evolve to fit the younger generation? No, I think the, the, the easiest thing is, is your phone, right? I mean, just the phone. Everyone plays something on their phone. They access everything on their phone. And, you know, it's it's just digital. It's just fun. It's fast. It's something. It's not going to a table and learning how to play craps or roulette or blackjack, what have you. But, you know, as I see it from the perspective of the Reset Company, we believe that there's a way for people to just bet on themselves on playing video games. 
know, there's a company like GameCo that's adopting video game technology to allow people to, you know, get some action in on it. Bet on yourself to play Soul Calibur. And the reset team has a similar, you know, mentality. And it kind of ties to why I see esports doing something so big one day. And then the esports kind of gambling happening as well. And that if you introduce gambling on video games to the general population, you're going to hit a lot of people. If you're going to introduce gambling to esports, you're going to hit a fraction of a percentage. So let's build the community via what esports are, their video games. And as people get used to betting on, I don't know, Super Mario Kart, which probably won't happen because Nintendo will be mad. But still, <laughs> the idea that a game that people play and then say, hey, look, that's a professional esports team. Or, hey, look, that's Bear from, you know, the Bear UNLV who's kicks all the ass in Super Mario Kart. Imagine if you could bet on him and just introduce this culture that we have, you know, been so passionate about to an audience that really doesn't know we exist. Definitely. You think about, I think about people like my parents who are not gamers in the modern sense of the world, and they would never put a bet down on League of Legends, for example. But my dad's nuts at Miss Pac-Man. And if he had a way of challenging someone else at Miss Pac-Man, I'll bet he'd feel confident enough to put some money down and do that. I feel like that's true for a lot of people. I don't even as working as an esports journalist, if you see two LCS teams, if it was FlyQuest versus Liquid up there, I'd be like, ah, FlyQuest, I think is good this year. I don't know enough <laughs> right. to put a bet and, down. You know, the, the, and that's a lot of the other trick to this is from a regulatory standpoint, it's very difficult for, you know, the Nevada Gaming Control Board to say, okay, give me all this data so I can start making sure that from an integrity position, that bet lines are good, that people aren't cheating, and all these things that kind of scare the uh, innovation out of Las Vegas, because there's just too many unknowns. And if they're afraid, you should believe, as you just said, like, where would the standard American customer look? They'd be probably like overwhelmed as well. So yeah, you know, to introduce competitive gaming, I think is the thing, you know, and I always go back to what Shroud just came back online today on Twitch on the day of the recording of this conversation. Um, he had what, 350,000 people watching? I saw 500. Get out of here. Yeah, I saw a peak so at 500. There's half a million people watching Shroud. And I want everyone who's listening to this to go outside into the street or go into your supermarket and say, hey, who saw Shroud yesterday? And tell me how many people look at you like, what the hell are you talking about? Because that's that reality that we're in, especially here in Las Vegas, is that mainstream appeal. We can talk all day about how amazing things are moving online, but how does that translate to the real world here? It's not there yet. And it'll come. But I want to know of those half a million people watching Shroud, how many of them are 30 years old living in Las Vegas? I'll count myself and you. you. Twelve. There's 12 of us. There's here. 12. <laughs> exactly. I know all 12 of them. They're in the Nevada Esports Alliance. Right. It, it's a good point. It's a, it's something that we in the esports industry, we see 500,000 like, wow, record-breaking. That's crazy. You take that to somebody in something like a Caesar's Palace, and they're like, okay, that's 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 a good number. That's that's solid. Where how So how often does that happen? That happens a lot? And it's like, no, that's a... It's a one-time thing. It's a one-time deal for him getting shut down off a of Microsoft company, finally making his return to Twitch. This is not like a like a consistent 500k. 
it's good, but it's not the numbers that a lot of mainstream people are looking for. And it's why, especially the esports and gaming divide is so silly because the gaming audiences have those numbers. Activision Blizzard's uh, Modern Warfare player base is 75 million people. Their esports viewership is 100,000. That's a massive, massive discrepancy. And that's what I think these these companies, these gaming companies are like, wait, we want that. Maybe it's not esports betting. We don't really want to bet on CDL match, but if we could get them into a game of Warzone and maybe they could bet on themselves, that might be more appealing. At least it reaches a much wider audience. You know, and, and it's we could just shut the podcast podcast off now because, I mean, that's pretty much what I've been preaching, you know, since day one when Intercoids opened. Right? It was nothing about... when I, When I played Street Fighter in a bar with all these people... I was beating all of them playing on one hand. And they're like, wow, you're amazing. And I'm like, I'm terrible. <laughs> like, You should see what these kids at Evo can do. And, right. you know, what, I'm glad you brought the numbers up because, you know, again, in terms of the big, big number and how to get to the big, big place, the Mayweather-McGregor fight, that hit 50 million people. That's a lot of people. Worlds is going to hit, what, 4 million people? That's exciting, but Worlds is four million through the whole world. Worlds that UFC yeah, Worlds McGregor, last year was twenty million. Actually, it was a pretty staggering out. And now, uh, take your so what? Four million was the peak. I think I think yeah, three point eight was the peak concurrent okay. viewers. So uh, that's fair. And Worlds is a month long competition. So even so I, the I'm numbers could be all skewed too. Like again, what do the numbers really mean? Right. So the point that I was making too, we can sit there and you know dive through the murkiness of uh, new egg, not new egg, uh, new zoo uh, reporting from random mysterious sources. Yeah, I know you're listening, new zoo. Um, when they put the pom poms down, you know the reality is that 50 million I was talking about for the McGregor Mayweather that was just in the U.S. So it's always the let's just keep things in perspective. And I'd much rather we build this organically and authentically because that's what this used to be. You know, it was 10 years ago where I was doing talks in Las Vegas about, look, the way to do this is to be authentic, to know what you're talking about and to, you know, be part of the community. Now it's here. I'm in esports. Here's $10 million. Make something happen. No, (laughs) you have to build this. You have to really teach people. The education is missing now. You can't sit there and put a Dota thing on tv and expect everyone walking by to understand what's going on i think we have like 14 different directions with the question yeah that's how that's how these podcasts usually end up going on yeah but the uh just to fall back on the viewership just to wrap it up is it's really important and i'm totally guilty of this in a lot of my writing is that that number used to be compared to the super bowl which was just acid oh yeah that was straight up just just a horrible comparison not even close different viewership well, the comparison i use now is okay worlds had 21.8 million i'm pretty sure it was uh that's tracked by nielsen that's an accurate number and the average for an nba finals game is about 15 million but it's really important to to be clear that's not the average audience throughout all of worlds that's the audience as a cumulative total right over worlds and then it peaks right. At four million, the AMA for a for a finals game is fifteen million. There's still a discrepancy. Esports still isn't there, and that's fine. It's growing. It's extremely popular with the younger generation. People like the MLB deputy commissioner are leaving their roles to go join esports and gaming companies. But we're not quite 
there yet. And that's okay. Patience is a virtue here. No, and I love the fact that you brought up that MLB move because, you know, I saw, again, the esports Illuminati, like, ha, 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 ha. Look at this old person joining into the esports. What do they know? What a stupid idea. Look, the more we get people from outside of this esports world to kind of say, like, okay, here's what works. Here's what doesn't work. I agree we don't do enough new media, right? We're not doing enough, perhaps, marketing in a more digital way. And, you know, Twitch needs to be utilized more versus traditional sports betting, blah, 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 whatever the story may be. The more people that we bring in and the more people that we embrace and we are becoming a little more inclusive, I do see that runway actually shortening versus what I see right now is it's just very long. And I mean, you know, there's a lot of money just burning right now because ego. Absolutely. Yeah. The one thing I'm really excited about for this MLB deputy commissioner, first of all, just the the mark that it is that somebody who is second in command in the MLB is willing to leave to go join Activision Blizzard. That's a good thing for esports. It says a lot about where esports is, even if he's not totally welcome. But what I'm really excited about is that his background is in storytelling. MLB, he worked for oh, MLB Network. Perfect. He worked for CBS Sports. He told stories of players. And if esports thinks that that's not valuable, I don't know what to tell you. Because esports players, you don't know shit about them. They stream for eight hours a day, and yet their stories aren't being told. You, And that's not because journalists aren't willing to tell it. It's because we don't have access. I, I've had players on this show, and I'm not going to call them out, but some players, you can hear them talk. They don't, they're not interested in telling their story. They don't do it. And so we need better storytelling to drive narratives. If you turn on ESPN right now, they're arguing about some bullshit about LeBron James and Damian Lillard probably and who knows, but they all have these narratives built around these players. And that's what drives sports fandom. And esports doesn't have that. And I think that I'm hoping this MLB guy helps push that forward. I, I've seen some of it happen in like Riot Games is doing a better job of highlighting storylines from, from top players. But there's still a, a long way to go before these, ha these narratives pick up their own sort of timelines. And a lot of the more interesting players aren't even part of the league because they're interesting for being toxic. Like that's you know, and I, we can go into so many directions, but I'm so glad you brought this up. So I'm going to do my best to try to answer this without going too far into too many different directions, but it's going to happen. First of all, storytelling, 100% the most important thing there is. One of the reasons why I love the FGC so much is because it's driven by personality. And it was, again, I'm going to go back to the yesteryears of my old days. But one gentleman in particular, his name was Marn. And this kid had, everyone loved him. He was a character. People who didn't know anything about games was like, this guy's so funny. He's this, he's this, he's that. I'm like, oh, he's a professional Street Fighter player. And I'm introducing this guy to politicians and to reporters and to other athletes in Las Vegas. And everyone loved Marn. Then he's on ESPN one day. This is maybe in 2014 or 13, showing Marn and the faces he makes towards his opponents. And people were interested. And then all of a sudden, we're cutting to five years later, and everyone's wearing a uniform and they have their arms crossed. Where's the personality? It's not there. And that's what you need to make people outside of the esports world pay attention. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the arms crossed. I'm so over just, I'm, so, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. People need to care about your teams more. And again, we're not necessarily calling you people out, but have some more personality, have some more in-depth stuff. And it has changed. Like I, I would to call of duty the cw i was waiting for you to say the huntsman but go ahead 
Oh no 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 no! Not the <laughs> not the huntsman, but it's okay. it's almost every Call of Duty team. So not, yeah, it's not it even is. like which one do you want me to? What's choose, up, bro? What's up, bro? Yeah. What's up? <laughs> no, I went to CWL and I'd come from a background in sports broadcasting, at least as a student, and I'm used to having press conferences, winners and losers, every single thing, college students, no matter the sport. And I go to the CWL and I want to talk to the people of Rise specifically, because at the time I was writing for the National okay. Football Post, and Rise is owned uh, by. Is Rise even still a thing? I'm not even sure. But they used to be over Roger Saffold, who was a guard in the NFL. And so that was who I went to talk to. And I went to talk to their players, and they lost, and they just didn't... The the PR people just didn't have them for me. And now it's a whole new PR team with with the CDL. Uh, It's good people. They've brought on Enable. They've brought on the Subliners, both to this podcast, or uh, Mac from the Subliners, both to this podcast, provided those people to me, and I appreciate that. But there's a level of pure interest that needs to happen here we need to have storylines built out around these players we need to have features we need to have all the stuff that comes with traditional sports because ultimately that's what keeps people watching day after day you watch the olympics because you want to see world records broken but you have no idea who these people are and there's all these human interest stories and people get to learn to love them i mean no one knew who couldn't even tell you his name right now, but the swimmer guy was before he started winning a whole bunch of awards. And then he became Michael a household Phelps. name. Michael Phelps. Yeah. And the only thing I remember about him is that he likes to smoke weed. So, you know, again, at least I remember that. But if you throw some random esports player name in front of me, I'm like, oh, but, you know, again, I don't want to be all Dr. Doom, negative Nancy here. I still say there's a hell of an opportunity because, like you said, with Call of Duty, 75 million game people playing a month. And thankfully, you pointed out only a hundred some thousand are really watching the esports, you know, side of it. However, Reset, this is a plug, is really pushing for Las Vegas to kind of offer more attention to these guys. And just the idea of if you can bring more esports events where people are doing other things besides the esport event itself, you know, let them go to a restaurant, let them race cars, let them shoot real guns. Let them do the roller coaster. There's all these things they have here to do. And as anyone will honestly tell you, esports doesn't make money. Content makes money. And you come to Vegas with your esports team and make content here, you have a good thing going because not only are you going to start making a little bit more money, but you're also going to start introducing your brand to outside audiences. Right. There's a reason why a lot of the esports, and again, guilty of it here too. I host the Esports Men at the Esports Network podcast. Those pod- Our podcasts do not focus entirely odd competitive video games we talk a lot about streamers because that's what people care about like that's what the esports audience cares about so you mentioned vegas i want to get back on track because i get we we have done in the past we've we've talked for three hours we can't do that on this (laughs) podcast so uh i want to talk about some of the the peaks and the valleys of your of what you've seen in vegas on the esports side so what were some of those high points? When you think back to the, I think you moved to Vegas in 2006, is what you told me? Uh, 2005. Uh, 2005, I was cool, yeah. we'll take it. Uh, so what were some of those highlights, those moments where you're like, wow, this is the future of esports in the city? And what were some of the lowlights? So, I mean, the the watching Evo grow to me is still the highlight of the whole thing. Because again, you're watching... A, just a community really build. And we were watching a city who didn't understand this because they started in a locals casino, the Green Valley Ranch, went to Red Rock, then went to the Las Vegas Event Center, uh, then was in Caesars, 
then worked their way to MGM. Now, that, that, that means they touched on just about everyone. And the city got to embrace, oh, yeah, fighting games. Love that stuff. Oh, that's esports. That's great. And people who were working started to understand it. Then League of Legends was here in 2016. Sold out Mandalay Bay Event Center. Just people everywhere. And it really was a huge success. On top of that, the people who worked the event, because I'm always looking more at how is our surrounding non-endemics responding to esports? And the reality was anyone working the event was like, number one, what the hell is going on? Number two, how come no one's spending any money? And number three, my kid plays that. <laughs> and like, it really was kind of like that conversation that happened. And so it was great, though, to see that. Uh, Rocket League was here last year for Champions over at the Orleans it was a moderate success in terms of uh, an attendee you know, position. I think that changes extraordinarily when it becomes a free-to-play game, but it was just okay. But what really concerned me was a real low light, um, two, twofold. One is definitely the DreamHack event. That was a Counter-Strike event. I forget what year that was. Um, maybe 2017? But... You know, at the end of the day, it was just uh, it was just pipe and drapes is all you saw. It was a very empty crowd. There was very little, you know, um, local community engagement. There was almost none. And there just doesn't seem to be a lot of people who came into town for that event. So that was kind of disheartening because that's, to me, a true esport for how long it lasted. And then, of course, the real, I mean, just the sourest of the sour is just the H1Z1 thing. You know, and that was... Phew, how do, you, how, how do we get into that? But, you know, again, you, someone with lots of money said, oh, here's a video game that all these people are playing. And I'm sure that's what it was when they first started talking about that a year before. But then PUBG comes out. The money's still pouring in. The event happens. They're selling the idea that this thing is blowing up and everyone's coming to it. But I'm getting, you know, calls from my sources. Hey, I'm getting told I'll get 50 bucks if I go to the H1Z1 event. That's a problem. Wait, they were getting, they were bribing people to show up? I was, you were incentivized to go watch the event live. What? <laughs> Hot sounds, scoop. How could that possibly I'm, be? I'm sprinkle the allegedly's right now. Allegedly, to, allegedly. Deezus and Mero, to, shout out to Deezus and Mero. Shout out to Deezus and Mero. <laughs> allegedly. Uh, yeah, interesting. I mean, I, I don't think it's a, it's a controversial opinion to say the h1z1 was a spectacular failure you could read all about right. it all over the internet but but again it's it's you know the reason why i make that point though is it's this whole thing that i also get really afraid of when it comes to when non-esports people get involved right there's always a need for the non-people to get in so we can grow but when you have the people like oh this is a hugely popular game and you're like Psst, no it's not it won't be another six months trust me we've seen this before and they go on and do it anyway. And then cut to today. Hey, you know what's a really big thing on Twitch? Chess. Hey, you know what else should be an eSport? <laughs> Fall Guys. Like, come on, guys. Like, stop jumping at everything that's popular and throwing the eSports moniker on it. Let's just focus on what's really, you know, globally impactful and build it instead of looking for that real quick and easy home run that won't come because that's not how eSports audiences work. Yeah, and it only takes, like... How we're seeing right now, a lot of the esports investment that came into the Overwatch League, I don't imagine that a lot of those people are going to keep investing in esports after Valorant comes out and everyone jumps ship. Like, okay, plenty of the esports organizations have been in this space. They understand that's a risk with any new sport, but you can't tell me Robert Kraft went into the Overwatch League being like, yeah, this is going to fail in three years and I'm okay with that. 
he thought it was going to be massive and a long-standing tradition. That's just not how esports works at the time because of how quickly money is being thrown into it and then how quickly things change. You know, it's a necessary correction. You know, we, you brought up a little while ago the whole Super Bowl number, right? I mean, how many people used esports for as big as a Super Bowl? We're all guilty of it to some extent because we were just so excited to see the thing that we love start to get people to pay attention. But now, you know, we've seen over years that community that we are so much a part of, if we can pull ourselves out of that bubble and be honest with ourselves as to how big it is and how much more work we have to do, we'll be much more successful. And the Overwatch League, look, it's easy to beat that thing up. I love beating up the Overwatch League. And the reason why is because I have a 10-year-old son who used to love playing Overwatch. And then one day he's like, Dad, this Fortnite thing is way cooler. Boop. And that was it. You never saw Overwatch again. And that made me think, okay, well, this is the future esports gamer kid. Boy, these guys are fickle. <laughs> so, you know, now we'll be a little more careful as to how we invest into an esports event. Yeah, that that same thing. That back right before Fortnite, the whole battle royale craze caused sure, so many, so many waves. Rocket League was massive; it was growing quickly. Rainbow Six had just come out; was growing massively. And these games have continued growing over the time. But when battle royales came out, it just I think it really highlighted Battle Royale esports have still never been really done appropriately. In fact, if I had to say the best league setup is PUBG Mobile. They have the best right. Battle Royale league. I was just seeing more and more complaints. I just saw more today about Epic Games and the way it's handling Fortnite esports. I covered that scene for nine months, specifically at Fortnite Intel. And it was just a daily, like, here's how Epic is doing things that aren't good for Fortnite esports. Because it wasn't their priority, they which didn't it care. shouldn't have been. It, nope. They had a great game, an entertaining game, and they were prioritizing that, which is the smart business decision. You know, and and it's man, the Fortnite phenomenon. You know, it's how much people still beat it up, and I know that Epic's laughing their way to the bank. It's like we don't care, guys. Like this is just for you to have fun and be happy with throwing money at you to do it. Enjoy that. And yeah, you know, Epic's raised two point five billion dollars in the last billion. Three years. Yeah, but that what is it? This, I think it was a seventeen billion dollar valuation about a week yeah. ago. Some nuts. Yeah, it number. was it was fifteen billion in the twenty eighteen raise, and then seventeen point eight billion in the raise a few weeks ago. And and that's just it, right? Like this is us talking in circles again. It's probably just me talking in circles because you have the questions in front of you, but. You know, the idea you. that <laughs> the idea that when you look at Fortnite and how big it is, you know, I can go up to anyone in the street and especially like, again, I'm talking about like just people, regular people outside of the esports world. I say CSGO. They look at me funny. Dota 2. They look at me funny. I say Fortnite and their eyes light up. And the interesting thing, though, about Battle Royale is it's, it's got this like human emotion play in it. That we're clearly seeing, because, I mean, there's Tetris 99, right? I mean, that's a battle royale, supposedly. The idea of challenging one person against 99, I think there was a game show some years ago. It was like one person versus 100. Oh, wait, I even think there was an original Xbox 360 game where it was a trivia game and it was one person versus like 100 people as well. I got to look that one up. But the reason why I'm making that point is that then ties into gambling and Las Vegas. So that we could talk about Las Vegas, Mitch. Oh, let's do that. The, the, the intended point of this podcast? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Intended point is just to hear your illustrious voice. But, you know, with 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 uh, Battle Royales, right? Look at this as a poker game, okay? You get your hand, and you have a choice. You can either check, you can either bet, slash raise, or you can fold. Battle Royale has a mentality like that where you get into an encounter, 
and you have a choice. Do you go into the fight? Do you wait for that person to potentially get third party then jump in? Or do you run away? And it's those kinds of emotional ties that you can tie gambling and betting elements to. That's the kind of thing that we want to see Reset really jump into and show people, you know, how esports, imagine now you're watching like, uh, I don't know, just Splice versus Team Liquid, whatever. And these live bets just start coming up and the intensity of, you know, are you going to get the aces or, or all these other terminologies that are going to use because I'm going to sound somewhat inauthentic. But the reality is there's a way to add the excitement that then will bring an outside audience in and then we'll get American audience a little bit more aggressively because we're just not doing that right now. Absolutely. We need more more colloquial terms too where people can understand it. Uh, it's the it's the comp to a lot of traditional sports as well. You don't have to understand a 3-4 defense to watch a football game and get it. I think that's true in, in a way for League of Legends and for, for some of these esports as well. You're not going to have to understand the entire high-level strategy, but it's going to we're going to need some level of adoption and knowledge that comes with the game and maybe explanation ways the game works to create that level of adoption. And that's really the, the question I wanted to end on, which is there ever going to be reality? I think we're both very clear that this is not a reality now. This will not be reality in the next five to 10 years, probably. But is there ever going to be a reality where people go into a Vegas sports book and start throwing around parlays on an LCS match and a Call of Duty match, and they combine the two and they want to do it all together and like just spend eight hours betting on, just like people did last Sunday, I'm sure, betting on PGA Championship and NBA games and MLS and whatever game they had on, throwing around bets on all these different things. Is that ever a thing we do, we get to for esports, even if we look 15, 20 years in the future? I mean, I, I think it's an absolute given. You know, this is why as much as I pull my hair out when I see how much money is invested in bad ideas, I also get really hopeful when I see money invested in really good ideas and really smart people jumping in and seeing ways to, you know, integrate video game culture to then show competitive gaming and then, of course, esports. And what it comes down to is you have teams like ESIC, um, run by Ian. I believe that is the Esports Integrity Committee coalition. and Coalition. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, you have guys like Seth Shore, who I always tip my hat to him. He helped to get the first League of Legends bet going down over here. And it started to make people talk. And then comes someone like Blaine from GameCo. Right, or, you know, again, Raul from uh, Unicorn. The more it's happening, and it may be not in the vision of the general mainstream audience in America today, it's going to happen because I just look at my kid. And I think it's a generational thing, right? Like when I grew up in the 80s playing video games, you know, I was a very small percentage of people who liked video games. Every year, it's clearly more and more that more people like and play video games. I saw a stat recently. It was like 50% of 9 to 12-year-olds in North America, so U.S. and Canada. So think about that. 50% of 9 to 12-year-olds are playing either Roblox or Minecraft. That's it. So That's crazy. That's a lot of people immersed in gaming as a child who's going to grow into a world of gaming and expect to see. You know, Maybe it's not VR, but I know people are talking about that. But we saw when COVID-19 hit Las Vegas, that people were willing to bet on, it wasn't esports in my opinion, it was just sports replacement games, like an NBA 2K and E-NASCAR and FIFA, what have you. 
So American audience is willing to bet on that. Once we find a way to see more and more of this younger generation who has grown into this and understands this. So it's not so much work to teach someone what, you know, what you have to do in terms of a jungler, top lane, mid lane, what have you, because they've been growing up on that and they're going to want that. And I've taken my son to hockey games. I've taken him to boxing matches. And at the end of the day, he still rather watch, you know, whatever tournament happened on his iPad because a 14 year old girl just won, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars that's getting him excited. And so, yeah, I think it will be a very real thing because young people today, it's a part of their life. Yeah. That immersion is hard to overstate. You know, I've gone to this, I've played league of legends. My friends have played league of legends, but I've not been steeped in it in the same way that traditional sports have permeated through, Everything I've done since I was, when I was five years old, my parents signed me up for three sports leagues. They had me playing right. basketball. They had me playing soccer. They had me playing baseball every every season. And I learned that shit from the earliest possible age. That's just not how esports works, but it is how the younger generations are working. To your point, is how many of these people are playing these games. They've played Fortnite. They understand Fortnite. They understand the battle royale concept at a core level which is so important for that adoption when it comes around later is like, Oh yeah. You know, I played that for three years in elementary school. It wasn't my thing, but I understand how it works. And that's really important level of, of adoption to get to. And it's what Asia has right now that North America does not. You know, I I always laugh because I'm always trying to like keep my kid, like let's give him the most solid understanding of video games as a whole. And I showed him Unreal Tournament, the original one. He's like, Dad, this is so easy. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I was playing Fortnite and the way he builds. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, I am like Cro-Magnon, man, compared to you in the (laughs) gamer evolution. Like, that's something to really think about there. (laughs) So, you know, it's it's an exciting time. And it's still a lot of work because even with my next door neighbor who has three kids of his own, they're about my son's age. I take my kids to the esports arena, you know, to compete in Fortnite, and he has a really good time. I mean, he's 10 years old. The guy next door has all kids around the same age, and he's like, no, my son's not allowed to play video games. Like, whoa, you still exist? So, you know, normalization at the end of the day is everything. You know, and the one thing I wanted to say about Vegas is that we are a town that caters to all entertainment. And it's just the job that I have, the reset team, the NVEA, is to really showcase that esports and gaming is for everyone. We just can't try shoving this thing down people's throats the way I think we've been trying to over these past few years. And it'll come. Agreed. It has to come. It's inevitable. It's not going to come right now. And maybe the massive investments happening right now aren't being put in the right spot. But esports rise and continued growth is inevitable. And that's, uh, I think a shared opinion across the board, gaming in general is, is inevitable as a future of entertainment, entertainment culture. Agreed. So Chris, that's where I want to wrap up this show, but please, I want to give you one more chance to plug reset Las Vegas. You've been too kind. You haven't totally plugged the company's statement yet. So take this time and tell us everything we should know about reset and what you're looking for. So at the end of the day, reset is the culmination of regulatory gaming, nightlife, entertainment, uh, philanthropy, all these really cool words. What we're doing is bringing, re- uh, bringing the video game world into the mainstream, you know, especially working alongside with the NVEA. You know, we're always trying to show the people in their towers, here's this thing. And so what Reset's doing right now, and our website is 
uh, www.reset.vegas. Uh, you can find me online, uh, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, it's Chris of Coins. And, you know, essentially, we are developing a video game betting platform to allow for people who come to Vegas to bet on themselves on their favorite video games in an environment that is what I like to call, you know, gamer centric. So this is all stuff in development. Uh, we're hoping to be launched by middle of next year, late next year. COVID-19 has slowed things down. But, you know, Reset is essentially a video game consulting firm in Las Vegas. And we have really big plans to make Las Vegas a little more gamer friendly in the very near future. I just want to bet on NFL Street, so I'll support anything. Do it 100%. And I'm telling I... you, that's the beauty of this. I know our platform is game agnostic, which is very exciting. And yes, trust me, you do NFL Street, and then I'll bet you against uh, NBA Street Volume 2. See, I'm not not nearly as confident in my abilities at NBA, but we can do a we can do a little series going on. SSX tricky. Titles. We'll do we'll do an Ooh. EA Sports big tournament. Yeah, yeah. And SSX that'll make tricky. The... I'm I'm feeling good. I'm feeling All right, there good. you go. I'm ready to go. That's that's the jam. <laughs> awesome, Chris. Thanks so much for joining the show. It was great talking to you. For Pleasure our listeners, always. I'm not sure when I'm going to post this one, so just look at the rest of our feed. There's some other great <laughs> episodes on there. I promise you. Uh, and be sure to listen in, give us a rate and a subscribe. It helps us out a ton. Oh, and check out the College Esports Quick Take, our new podcast from Esports Network, covering everything collegiate esports. If you're interested about that space, it's growing rapidly uh, and is one of the really interesting growth spots of esports and the role it'll play in the greater esports ecosystem. So check out that College Esports Quick Take, wherever you like to listen to the Esports Network podcast. It should be live right there as well. Thank you all for listening. As always, I'm your host, Matt Dreams.